This is Keith Coogan, and you're listening to the Rock and Roll Coffee Show. The dishes are done, man. Welcome to the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show, episode number 51. I'm your host, Joe Sebelia, and my guest this week is paranormal investigator Katrina Weidman. You may have seen Katrina on such shows as Paranormal State and Paranormal Lockdown. Try and say paranormal back-to-back. Yeah. But Katrina is also a co-host and paranormal investigator on the show Portals to Hell, which you may have seen on the Travel Channel but season three is now streaming on Discovery+. Plus. It was a pleasure chatting with Katrina about her childhood, how she became a paranormal investigator, and some of the experiences that she's recently experienced during tapings of her shows. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did, and be sure to check out Portals to Hell, streaming now on Discovery+. Plus. And as always, please follow the show on social media. We're probably most active on Instagram, but you can find us on Facebook, and now also Twitter, at R&R Coffee Show. Also, don't forget to visit our website at rnrcoffeeshow.com. Hey, Katrina Joe here from the Rock and Roll Coffee Show. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. Let me, uh, hold on a second. Let me make sure we are recording. And okay. we are. You never know when that thing's not recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever have that happen to you? During a show? Oh, yeah. Totally, yeah. And especially with cameras also, you know, at work. Um, many times that's happened. Yeah. Oh, it's the worst. But hey, yeah. um, <laughs> are you up in Pennsylvania? I am, yeah. I live outside of Philadelphia. Okay. that's. I thought I read something about that. Uh, I used to live in uh, Downingtown. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I grew up there till I was probably about 10 years old. Then we moved to Florida. Yeah, so you're familiar. You're you're definitely familiar with it. A little bit, yeah, from what I remember. But I haven't been back in a long time. But yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, um, that's funny. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful part of, of Pennsylvania. You know, the southeast. So. Yeah, yeah. So, so you've been there your whole life? Yeah, I was born and raised here, and then um, moved back. Uh, gosh, maybe I guess ten years ago. Yeah, I moved back ten years ago. Okay, so you were gone for a little bit. Yeah, for a little bit. Um, and I travel so much, you know, so it's just it's easier to kind of have a home base near uh, family. Yeah. You know, in case anything goes wrong, <laughs> like where I live or anything like that. Um, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, makes a little more sense. Um, all right, so listen, congratulations on uh, season three of Portals to Hell. Oh, thank you. That just came on, what, last weekend, about five days ago? Yeah, so we're on Discovery Plus now, and um, it's streaming, which is, the, I mean, obviously, you know, the benefit everyone knows about streaming is you can watch it on your own time, which is really nice. 
Um, and so episodes, new episodes are being added to the stream um, every Saturday. Okay. So there's, yeah, so for the new season, there's one that is a two-parter, and um, that's called McCormick Farm. And then Hotel Monte Vista, both of those are already up. And then this Saturday will be the Grant Humphreys Mansion, which is located in Denver, Colorado. Okay, okay. So Discovery Plus, is that the only uh, way to see the show now? As of right now, yeah. Okay, because it was on, what, Travel Channel before that? Yeah, yeah, and it just went to streaming. And so, um, and as far as, you know, if it's going to go, if it'll be on cable after that, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But um, definitely streaming is the place to catch it right now. Yeah, yeah. I think eventually everything's going to go that route. That's my feelings. I mean, <laughs> streaming. I think they've been saying that for, gosh, like six years now, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. But everything seems to. Streaming is the future. Yeah. You know? Everybody's going to have their own plus. Disney Plus, Discovery yeah. Plus. <laughs> Um, so let's go, let's talk a little bit about, um, your beginnings. I know you've probably talked about this a lot, but, uh, a lot of my listeners have not heard your story. So yeah, take, take us back to when you were just a little Katrina and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and let's go from there. Cause you experienced some paranormal activity early on, right? Yeah, I think I have the typical ghost hunting story, you know, or ghost hunter story, um, which is I grew up, I grew up in houses that had activity. Um, and you know, my parents are very opposite from each other in this way, where my dad went to school for sciences. My mom was an artist. So, you know, my mom was very much, um, she very much believed in this stuff. My dad was very skeptical. So they never necessarily told us like when we had experiences, it wasn't really, um, they never really embraced that, but they didn't mm-hmm. necessarily say, you know, it's not true. It was just sort of like, Oh, okay. like kind of right. fresh off, but not really fresh off. It's hard to kind of explain, but I think, you know, once I had experiences as a child, um, and the bookmobile would come around and <laughs> all that stuff, I would always buy the books about ghosts and aliens yeah, yeah. and cryptos and <laughs> just, I guess just trying to look for an answer really. Um, and it just kind of led into this lifelong fascination and passion with it. And when I went to school, I, I ended up going to Penn state and they had a, a paranormal club up there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I signed up for that and they had a training course and that training course had an over 50% dropout rate. Wow. Um, so I was one of three, yeah, I was one of three to actually make it through And around the same time, the group ended up getting a television show called Paranormal State, which aired on A&E. Right. And um, I was was a music and theater major. So, you know, being in front of people or being on camera never really phased me. So I, uh, when they were doing the television show, they, they were like, you know, anybody can, you know, come and quote unquote audition. It wasn't like an audition you think of as in a scripted show. It was just like, can you be on camera and like articulate and... Right. talk about things and um so i went to that and it just led to led to this whole weird little journey that i'm on <laughs> right so how old were you when you first had an experience oh very very young um so it, it's hard to it's kind of hard to pinpoint because when i was a kid i always remembered being afraid to be in my bedroom by myself being afraid to be upstairs by myself 
Um, I, I just always kind of had a sense that something was, I, something never felt comfortable to me. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know. I always remember that feeling. So it's hard to say what age I was with that, but the biggest experience, um, that I first remember happened with my sister and she's a couple of years older than I am. And I would always follow her around if like she was going downstairs. Um, and I would like beg to sleep in her room, you know? So she was obviously like really annoyed about that because who, who wants a little shadow with them, you know? Sure. I'm experiencing and, that um, now with my kids. Oh yeah. <laughs> so she was, she was going down the stairs one night and she peeked through the banister to make sure I was in my room and I wasn't going to follow her. And she saw me sitting on the bed. And when she continued down the steps, I was sitting at the bottom of the steps. And so it became this thing of like, you know, how did you do that? What are you talking about? I wasn't upstairs. If you were, I just saw you, that kind of thing. Um, And I was probably four or five. So very, very young. I I remember that experience um, vividly. So, uh, so that's did, like the first one I can kind of hang my hat on, you know. Did you go back up to your room and check it out? I believe <laughs> or, we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the exchange more than anything. Yeah. You know, just sort of being like, I remember her being like, "How did you get past me on the steps?" And I'm like, "I don't know what you're talking about." Um, wow. And you know, my aunt actually ended up moving in after us, and she had a lot of experiences there, and then the people that moved in after her also had experiences and they ended up approaching my mom um, because an old neighbor was like, Oh, you know, you might want to talk to this woman who used to live there. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it definitely has a history of activity in that house. Wow. Did you ever uh, research it anymore as you got older? See if anything what happened in that house or anything? Yeah, a little bit. Um, The current owner, I've spoken to her. And she doesn't really believe in uh, anything like this. And But she did say to me, it was funny, she's like, no, I've never had an experience here. I don't really believe in this stuff. But then she told me she did have a guest sleep over um, one night, and they approached her about an experience they had. And they were kind of like, you know, you didn't tell me this house was haunted. Uh-oh. And she's like, well, it's not. <laughs> and they were like, well, I beg to differ because I saw a man. Um, and it, it was either they saw the man walking down the attic steps into the hallway or they were in the door frame. It was, it was something like that. Um, and what's funny about that is that was an experience my sister always had as a kid is the that she would thing. see this wow. man walking. Yeah. She would see this man walking down the hallway. And I always found that to be a really interesting connection because this woman's guest had never heard of us had never heard of our story. Sure. I didn't even know that about my sister until much later. They never told me that. So, um, I, I think that's a really interesting connection that here's two people that didn't know each other, didn't know of each other's experiences, but they had the same exact experience, um, many years apart from each other. Wow. So did that, those kind of experiences frighten you when you were so young? Uh, yeah, totally. I, I mean, I think it's scary when you don't, um, I mean, they still frighten me. I don't always think fear is a bad thing. Um, you know, I think fear sometimes is there to, to kind of tell us to slow down and that maybe something's not right. And mm-hmm. we need to kind of assess that situation. Right. But 
so yeah, I was always kind of scared of everything, but I was also really fascinated by it. And I, I, right. I just wanted to know, you know, what is this? Why does this happen? Why do some people have these experiences and other people don't? Yeah. Was it always like with ghosts and spirits or, or were you into other paranormal stuff like uh, UFOs and stuff oh, like that? I was, yeah, I was into all of it. Okay. All of it. Um, I think probably hauntings more than anything else, just because that was my own personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and ESP, I would say probably a close second. And then like aliens, cryptos, they all kind of fell fell after them. But I was into it all. Bigfoot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was into it. Like, all of it. I was, you know, I just always thought it was so interesting. Yeah. Now, when you were younger also, you also got into music, I believe, right? Yeah. So, what do you, mm-hmm. do you yep. sing? What do you play? Yeah. So, um, I started as a violinist when I was a kid. And I was okay at violin, but it wasn't, like, it, it never really felt supernatural to me. Oh, there's a little pun for you, but uh, <laughs> it never felt... <laughs> Um, I don't know. It just, it took me a while to really take the violin, but what's interesting is I ended up learning how to play piano because of the violin. And that, I mean, that's my, that's my little, that's where my heart lives, I think, at the piano. piano. Um, so I played piano since I was a kid and started writing when I, when I was a kid and then started studying voice at 15. So, um, so today I, I, I play keys and sing and write. Oh, you still do it? Yeah, yeah. I was um, my band. I was in a band for a couple of years. Uh, we broke up a little bit ago, um, but I'm actually getting ready to go and record some covers with some friends. And oh, nice. Um, start, yeah, I'm starting to work with uh, a couple of new people about you know just to write with. Mm-hmm. Do you have any songs out online that people can hear or no? Um, I don't know if anything's online anymore. I think we might have taken them down when our band split ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, good. That's great to hear. Um, yeah. So when you were younger, you, of course, well, I'm, I'm assuming you weren't saying I'm going to be a paranormal investigator when I grow up. No, no. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a job option. This was, this was a very new, uh, job, uh, job option. I think for a lot of people, um, no, I mean, when I was little, I wanted to work in music and um film television stage you know i wanted to be a performer um and so but i would play the funny thing is like if i didn't go into any of the arts and there was a couple things i was interested there my first choice would have been to go into law to be either like a lawyer or a detective oh yeah so when i was a kid i would play i was like some weird game i made up i don't know where i was like in a movie but I I discovered a haunted house or like a secret, you know, and I had to like outside of the movie, I had to go investigate it. And I would wear on my mom's clothes from like the 60s and um, <laughs> just play dress up in them and pretend that I was like this investigator actress. Thing. I don't know. <laughs> so you always had that <laughs> investigative part in you. Like you yeah, always wanted to yeah, find out I more. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean. It, it, it kind of worked out then, right? Because you're doing the investigating end in film. Yeah. I, it's funny how that all co- kind of comes together sometimes. Yeah. So you, when you went to, um, to college, is that, that's kind of where you first got into your um, research, right? 
yeah, I, I think in a more professional level, I was always into it and uh-huh. I was always, you know, looking the stuff up, the stuff up any way I could. Um, but I think in college is when it took a more academic methodical approach. Okay. And how did you get into that group? It, what was it? The paranormal research society, correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. It was a, just a student club on campus. And, um, when I went away to school, I had transferred to Penn state and I was a double major with minors. So it was just a lot going on. And, um, I wasn't really looking at clubs, but my aunt, you know, ghost hunters was huge at the time. Yeah. So my yeah. aunt was like, Oh, you should see if they have a club on campus. And so lo and behold, they did. And I went to that and I ended up dropping out of the club because there was just like too much going on in my life at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I really need to focus on school and not extra stuff. So I ended up going back um, once things calmed down. And that's when I went through the training course and everything. So they had a whole training course for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, read these books, write these papers. Here's a quiz. Here's a test. And then you had a shadow investigations. And then they would set up mock investigations for you. And it was, it was a whole thing. It was, wow. it was pretty intense. Um, yeah. That's why it had such a high dropout rate because it was, it was a lot of work. And I think when you're at college, you know, and you're already studying your butt off, you don't necessarily want to take on more sure. studying. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But, what, um, so do you remember what was your first real investigation? I think my first proper investigation outside yeah, that's, of that's doing word. like the mock investigations and um, the shadowing and everything. The first real big one was for paranormal state. And that was, um, I think the episode is called the dark man. Uh, so like in, in PRS, all of the cases were called something different internally. So I always kind of forget what the episodes end up being called. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it was about a woman who her son had just recently passed away and she was worried that they had a haunting and she was uh, concerned that he might be trapped there because of that haunting. Oh, no. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was a very intense case to go through at, at, you know, I think such a young age and dealing with such big emotional distressing issues like that. Um, but, you know, we kept, we ended up keeping in touch with her for a very long time until she passed the, um, I want to say maybe 10 years ago, she, she ended up passing herself, but, uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. So that was the, the first big, big one. Did you guys end up finding anything? Yeah. We actually had a flashlight explode on that one. Explode. And the interesting. Yeah. It, it was really weird. It didn't like, I maybe explodes not the best word cause it didn't like shatter into pieces, but <laughs> it was a mag light and it has, you know, that little rubber button on the side Yeah, and that ended up like popping and melting and it, it was like a mini explosion on the flashlight and completely broke the flashlight. Oh, um, and what's yeah, what's interesting is we had in the beginning of the show, we had a, uh, I guess a teacher advisor who was the scientist and she was on that investigation with us and she was completely blown away by it. Um, and wow. she was very, very, very skeptical, very skeptical. So um, I always kind of took away the fact that she was like left scratching her head being like, I don't, I don't have an explanation for this, you know, mm-hmm. that that was pretty significant. Mm-hmm. So when you go into an investigation, I mean, what, what are you thinking 
prior to the investigation? I mean, are you thinking that you're going into it with the the ideas that, yeah, we're going to find something or no, there's nothing. I don't think there's really anything going on here or, or is it an open mind where um, you just don't know? Or Yeah. No, I think you have to, you have to remove suggestibility as much, as much as possible because humans are fallible, you know, and you don't want to have your own biases take over the investigation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there's a lot of pre-work that goes into the actual investigation. And um, through the, that kind of stuff, like interviews with clients and secondary interviews and the research you do, you are building up an idea of what you might be running into, mm-hmm. whether or not that's explainable or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you do have to kind of wait till you get there um, before you start really putting a stamp on what you think is going on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's okay to, to go in with maybe an idea, but um, you know, you have to remain flexible. Yeah. Yeah. I would think if you go in with the idea of uh, this is what I think I'm going to find, you might trick yourself into finding those things. Can that happen? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. And that's something that for me as an investigator, you know, it's really important to try to strip that away. And again, I don't know, you know, can we ever really strip away our own biases or our foundation or the lenses that we filter the world through? I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, we can try, 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 you know, to really yeah. just go in objective. And, um, you know, you have to get really good at separating your subjective experiences from that conclusion as well. Mm-hmm. And has there been a time where after you've done your research and you were ready to do the investigation, once you started your investigation, you it was like totally opposite of kind of what you researched and thought you might experience? Yeah, more? yeah, absolutely. I learned that lesson pretty early. It was um, during the first season of Paranormal State. We went to a location and um, I, I ended up becoming the case manager for PRS, so after like the first, so we did season one was broken up into two different filming sessions. And after the first filming session, I stepped up to the role of like case manager. So I had put in a lot of research into this one case and, you know, interviews and all that stuff. And everything we knew about the case just seemed very explainable. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the things that people kept saying was um, our dogs keep dying because they run into the road and they get hit by a car. I mean, that's not so strange, right? right, right. <laughs> like, when <laughs> yeah. I was growing up, our cat got hit by a car. And, um, you know, so I was concerned going into that case that they were hypersensitive and maybe blaming a lot of real-world issues on the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we got there and we we stayed in the house, we ended up sleeping in the house, um, things were very different. And we actually experienced um, a lot of unidentified knocking that seemed to kind of play with us. So it would, you would hear this knocking in one part of the house, you'd go to that part of the house and then it would move to another part of the house. Hmm. Um, you know, so that was the first time I remember coming to that conclusion of like, Oh, you know what? Yeah, I can't do that. I can't go in thinking I know everything. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. not going to work. I mean, and when in life does that work? It doesn't. Right. Right. So, right. But I was 20 and I, I didn't know any better. I thought it. <laughs> right. So how, how did your, um, 
your group at the school, how did that turn into a TV show? Um, so I wasn't involved in that part process, so I don't really know the inside and out. Um, I've heard a couple of different stories of how that came together. Uh-huh. Um, you know, being working in television as long as I have now, and just you know knowing how all that producers work and everything. What I think probably happened was, you know, most likely the club was um, looking. Maybe not to get a television show, but maybe just being open to the possibility because, again, Ghost Hunters was huge. Mm-hmm. And because Ghost Hunters was huge, they were obviously production um, companies and networks who were looking for the next paranormal show. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it was a thing of they probably just ended up finding each other mm-hmm. um, more than one seeking the other out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And how long were you on that show? Uh, as long as it ran. So. I, I think internally it was five seasons. I think when it runs now, it there's like a sixth season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was on it for the, entire, for the entire show. Okay. And then when you left that show, um, what was the next show you had? It wasn't Paranormal Lockdown, right? Didn't you have a uh, like a movie type show? Yeah, I um, did two specials for the Chiller Channel, uh, and where we explore the truth behind horror movies. So they were movies that were supposedly based on true stories. And we would go and, you know, investigate, was there any truth to it? That's a fantastic idea. Wish I would have thought of that. It's a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> it was that there was a lot of things that went into that, not proceeding into a show. They wanted it to be a series. Um, uh-huh. But just on the business side, it didn't work out for them. And, you know, it just didn't make sense to move forward for me personally. Was there any interesting findings on any movies? Um, yeah, I think the one that always sticks out to me that, well, actually, you know, there's a couple, I would say a personal kind of like, whoa, this is really happening to me, um, moment was when I got to meet Travis Walton, who, um, is the gentleman who is the subject of fire in the sky, which mm-hmm, is, mm-hmm. uh, an early movie on his experience being abducted by aliens. And I watched that movie as a kid and I was terrified, yeah. terrified. And I mean, to this day, it's probably one of the movies that has like stuck with me. And I just remember the imagery from that movie and it still scares me. Um, And, you know, so when I met Travis in real life, I was like, oh, you're the guy that like terrified (laughs) me as a kid, you know, Um, but he's lovely. He's so nice. Um, But that was like a very like, whoa, like to hear his story first, like from him was a really incredible moment. Yeah. and then another one, which is really interesting, was uh, there's a case in Seaford, New York, and it's still an open police case to this day. Um, and it, it involved a family of four, mom, dad, daughter, son. And for six weeks, they had intense paranormal activity to the point where it was like a 250-pound bookcase lifted up. Oh, and there were multiple witnesses to this. Yeah. Um, so they had psychologists involved. They had police involved. The news reporters came out. And this was in the 1950s. Wow. You know, so, yeah. Um, so we got to speak with the daughter of the family and hear her firsthand account. Um, and that, I mean, very, I mean, it was fascinating, you know. So um, it's also a case where William G. Roll, who was a psychologist, he coined the phrase, or not the phrase, but he is, he's the Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's the person that put together that poltergeist could be 
caused by an actual living person. Right, right, um, okay. So, and he was involved in that case, and that's kind of where he came up with that theory. So, uh, so really significant yeah, uh, yeah. location, actually. Yeah. And then para- Paranormal Lockdown, you actually went to locations and stayed, correct? Yeah, we would, we would stay and investigate for 72 hours. That's a long time. A very long time. <laughs> it's uh, it's tough too when you're working. You know, not all these buildings are um, up to code, sure. so a lot of them don't have heat or you know electricity or running water. Some Maybe of them a few are rats running around. Of, yes, many times. <laughs> oh, um, they have a lot of footage of bats dive bombing me as I was trying to sleep. <laughs> oh man. So, yeah, it was it was a rough. I mean, definitely working in the trenches for the paranormal at that point, you know. Yeah. Did you ever have a time when you just wanted to leave after like day one? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but no, all the time. It w- wouldn't have made for really... very good TV, though, right? <laughs> Probably not. I guess. <laughs> well, and it's also I'm. It was a couple things for me. I always had that emotional thing of I want to leave. Like this is like. Uh, it was a tough show to make. It was They were very challenging investigations. But I also think, you know, one of the benefits of having a television show attached to, to doing investigations is that you have a big budget. Yeah. And so a, a lot of these locations charge a lot of money to get into. And if you're a private investigator, you know, unless you have amazing funding, you you might not have that opportunity. Sure. So I, that was never far from my head, like just how lucky we were to be able to have the access that we had. And um, I always thought to myself, like, yes, this is a terrible working condition we're in right now. And yes, like, you know, we're tired and, you know, we want to shower and all that stuff like that. But also, I will never forgive myself if I don't follow through with, you know, what we're here to do. Yeah. When's it going to happen again? I, you when know? are you going to get that chance again? You know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so then after that, you went on to Portals to Hell? Yes. Okay. And that's where we're at today with ep- with season three. So how did you... Yes. Um, how did you and Jack meet up? Jack Osborne's your, I don't want to, I guess co-host, I guess, right? What's it called? Yeah, yeah, no, we're <laughs> co-hosts of Portals to Hell together. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's, you know, I obviously knew who Jack was. Because um, I'm always like, how can you not know who the Osbournes are, you know? Right, <laughs> so that show is huge. I obviously, yeah, yeah, and so I obviously knew who he was. Um, and he knew me because he used to watch Paranormal State. Uh-huh. Uh, so Jack's always really been into the supernatural and um, he used to watch that show. And when Portals to Hell came about and he was looking for somebody to join him on this, um, my name was thrown in and he gave me a call and we ended up meeting up for breakfast one day and uh, just sort of talking about, you know, our thoughts and theories, our experiences, where we wanted to, you know, see the paranormal field go and our our views were very much aligned with each other. So it just made, it made a lot of sense to work with each other on this. Okay. Was, was this his show? Was this his idea? Mm, I'm not too clear on the specific details, but it, I mean, it is his company. So I assume, okay. you know, that, yeah. Okay. Now, are you a producer on the show also? I am. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How much time and research goes into researching a, a place where you're going to go? 
Yeah. So I think with any television show, the challenge that you have with research is that you're on a television uh, network schedule. So, you, you know, you have deliverables and you have to meet certain deadlines. Um, so the ch- like if we're looking at television versus private investigations for a private investigation, I can take a year to mm-hmm. invest to research place and to go back multiple times and to have, you know, interviews that last you know, a month, six months, and I can interview and interview and interview. And um, with the television show, you don't have that luxury. So uh, we do have an incredible team who does as much research as they can within the short time frame that we're given. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's kind of hard to put on hours, like if you're looking for specific hours or like, oh, they take a week each time because each location is so unique and different. Mm-hmm. You know, some locations, um, for example, in, in in certain smaller towns, there might not be a lot of documentation for right, what went on. Right. So then it becomes all word of mouth. And then it becomes really important to kind of talk to the people that have been there forever. Um, and then you kind of have to, you know, then it becomes this game of telephone where you have to track down the next person, then the next person. And then that person might not live there anymore. So you got to call wherever they are and try to find them. And, yeah, it's um, a lot. You know, so it's, it's really dependent on the location. Okay. Now, who chooses the locations? That's a collaborative effort. Um, and, I, you know, it's really been that way, I think, for every film project I've been a part of in this genre. Um, so, obviously, you have, you know, producers who have their wish list. You have a network that has their wish list. And then you have the investigators, the talent who have their wish list. And it's a sort of, you know, you can't always get your wish list because there's um, – some locations don't allow television shows in right. some locations, you know, there's legalities there that it just doesn't line up. So you try your best to, to get what everybody wants, but you know, um, I, I think we've lucked out a lot with getting some pretty amazing locations. Like for portals to hell, we ended up being the first like professional investigators to do the LaLaurie mansion in new Orleans. Oh wow! And, um, yeah, which they have never allowed anybody in there to do that. Um, I think Jack and his dad went for their show, but it was sort of more like a fun thing for mm-hmm. the two of them. Mm-hmm. So, but because of that relationship, um, you know, the the owner trusted Jack and sure. was like, you know, if you guys want to come and do this, you're welcome to. And um, it was, I mean, it was incredible. So, yeah. Has, has there ever been a place that came up, you know, as a suggestion and you said, absolutely not? Or do you, would you go anywhere? Um, I'm pretty much open-minded to any place. I think, I think what would happen to me, it wouldn't so much be the supernatural. It would be real world dangers, you know? Right. So, right. uh, if somebody was like, Hey, do you want to investigate the swamp where alligators live? I'm probably going to say <laughs> no. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't seem like, at least from watching you on the show, you don't seem like you get scared very easy or is it that... takes a lot these days um to be it does take a lot but i do still get scared but then i go back to that thing i talked about earlier where it was like i we are so lucky to have the access that we have yeah and i like i i do honestly want to see what can we find what can we document is there any truth to the rumors about these places um and then the other part of it is too i go to and i had to start doing this on I guess lockdown, because really, like, to fall asleep in some of these places, you really have to get your mind 
to a very objective place. Yeah, I would imagine. And, you know, yeah, it's just very hard to, to just relax in those places <laughs> sometimes. Um, but it, it became a thing of, you know, I, if we're looking through history and culturally, we know that ghost stories have always been told, right? There's always been some supernatural element to things in this world. So if people didn't understand how something worked, they would usually assign a supernatural story to it. Um, right. And you can see that with a lot of ancient cultures, right? So if they have, oh, there's the god and the goddess who are blessing us with a great harvest this year. Well, we know that's not how it works scientifically, right? But they didn't, they didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't it doesn't take away from their experience. So they were still experiencing a great harvest or, you know, in the case of um, if there was a storm, maybe they thought a God or goddess were the cause of that. Well, they were still experiencing the storm. It's just, that's not the reason behind why those things are happening. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, that's very much what we could be dealing with now. Not to say that these experiences don't happen, but we might have the wrong meaning behind it. We might have the wrong reason behind it. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of go to that place in my head of, you know why I'm, I'm really only scared because of what I think it could be. Right. And right. maybe it's not that. Right. So, you know, I better put on my big girl pants and do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have, have you experienced running into, um, I guess, I guess like demons were what they call demons and you know that you were the unexpected i guess yeah for sure and you know demons it's interesting because it it, it's become such a interesting word in the field and especially if you're a fan of the genre because it it comes with a lot of biases with that Mm -hmm. and um so when we say it the d word as we like to call it d word we say it What's that? <laughs> no, the D word, okay. The D word, yeah. So when we say it, like if I say it to Jack, he automatically knows what I'm talking about. If he says it to me, I know what he's referring to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if, when you look culturally and like through religions, uh, different religions, they all kind of have their own version of something negative, something intelligent, something non-human. Um, it just so happens that I think demon is a more, mm, a lot of people know what that word means. Right. You know, so uh, I think it, it kind of became like the common language that was used in the field. And um, but so, you know, I think you can call it whatever you want, really. But have I encountered what people believe to be negative, intelligent, non-human energy? I think something of that nature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I try not to put a stamp on too many things just because I, I really can't tell anyone 100% for sure what any of this is mm-hmm. other than is it explainable or is it not explainable mm-hmm. you know as far as we stand in terms today mm-hmm. on portals to hell I forget what episode it was um, maybe the hill house there was one where mm. I think it was um, man I'm trying to remember was her name Cheryl was there a Cheryl in that the lady that lived there or something. I, anyway, but whoever it was or whatever episode it was, um, she was talking to you and you were in another place. She was in a chair or something. Oh, Carol. Carol. That was Carol. Carol, from, Cheryl. Um, close. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, close, yeah. <laughs> what, um, <laughs> I mean, what was happening there? 
That that was a really interesting investigation. So that is the Captain Grant's end, which will air on Discovery Plus um, in two weeks, I think. And Jack and I actually talk about that investigation all the time because <laughs> we did not expect anything to come from that experiment. That was, um, we had gone to the Captain Grant's and we heard all the, the rumors and we had heard the stories and, you know, we came with, as you know, the research that we had and, when we, when we met with Carol, she told us there were like 300 spirits in the location. And normally, when you meet somebody who says that, it's not accurate, right? right. And it seems like a lot. that's either they're not, you know, being logical about things or they're purposely lying or, you know, there, there can be a lot of reasons behind that. So we were like, that seems weird. But then we kept, we kept meeting all these people who seemed credible and who had these experiences there. And one of our producers actually stayed there when she was a child. Hmm. And she remembered, you know, feeling kind of weird about the place. Yeah. So, you know, we've had, we had these people that were like, I had experiences. I, I fully believe that they're experiencing things, you know, that kind of thing. And so we're like, well, what if, what if Carol is telling the truth, but maybe she's more sensitive and she just doesn't know it. So to her, it seems like there are this many spirits, you know, um, because if you're a psychic medium, you're going to have a different perspective of things mm -hmm. than the average person. Right. So we set up an experiment with her where she has her uh, noise canceling headphones. She's blindfolded. Carol's also hard of hearing to begin with. Okay. So, for example, like when I walked past her, she didn't even flinch. Mm -hmm. she had no idea I was there mm -hmm. you know so yeah. um but we we kind of set up this whole experiment where I would ask questions and Carol ended up answering pretty much yeah. everything I asked this... and it was very weird yeah and we just told her we're like look if you get imagery that comes to your mind if you have any thoughts that come to your mind any words just say them out loud we're just documenting this we're trying something I don't even think we fully told her I'd have to go through my notes, but I don't think we fully told her what we were doing. We were just like, whatever comes to you, just say it out loud. Wow. And it was so very odd because like, it wasn't every question, but it was the majority of questions that I asked, she answered and they were yeah, it was, either connected it, it, or in line. It was very weird. It was pretty spot on. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was a, that was a crazy one. Yeah. So season three, um, is there anything you can tell us about some of the shows coming up? I mean, you know, of course, don't give too much away, but what can you tell us about season three? Yeah. Well, definitely check out Captain Grant because we just talked about it. That's that's coming on in, uh, I think, two weeks that, that we'll download for streaming. Um, but I would, you know, one of the craziest places for me was the McCormick Farm. Um, and that is allegedly a generation of serial, serial killers who used to own the farm. Um, the youngest generation of the family ended up going to prison for the murder. And on the farm, uh, there are still bodies scattered. It's 3,000 acres. And they, when they were investigating the crime, they could only find like three or four. Um, but they do know that there is more. Where is this? And, um, this was in Colorado. Oh, okay. Uh, I can't remember the, the exact name of the town off the top of my head, but um, Eastern Colorado. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the current family, they've owned it, you know, for decades, but they've had a lot of experiences over the years. 
And um, so they, they wanted us to come in to see if we could, you know, test these claims, if we could capture anything, if we could document anything for them, give them some, you know, give them some help. When, and when's that air? That's on right now. Oh, so right now. Okay. anybody who's listening can go and stream. They can stream it tonight, all alone in a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, good, good. Um, is there any place that you would want to investigate that you haven't been to? Oh, yeah. I, I think, you know, absolutely go back to Europe. I would love to um, check out some places over there. Um, because, I mean, you know, it's just, it's very different investigating. Uh, like, I, I've had experiences investigating in the U.K., and it's interesting because it's not as taboo as it is here in America. And um, I had a friend who is English, and they said to me, they think it's because when you're when you're a child in the UK at least, and you go on like a field trip, you go to the old castle, yeah. and they always, you know, they always kind of tell you a ghost story wherever you go because it's just so old, and there's always a rumor about a ghost. So it kind of becomes part of your, it just becomes part of your life at that point. That oh yeah, that's the haunted place. That's the haunted place. In right. America, we're we're not as our structures aren't as old, um, you know, so. I think we kind of grew up maybe a, a little differently with, with hearing those stories, at least. Sure. Now, do, when you tell people you're a paranormal investigator, do they look at you funny? Sometimes. Do yeah. They? I don't always, I don't always uh, tell people. It depends oh, no? on the situation I'm in. No. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes people do judge and, um, and, but, and sometimes it's just, I need to turn off from work, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, like in a pre-COVID world, when I would go out, I wouldn't always say what I did. I would just, I would just sometimes leave it at, oh, I work in film and television, and I was yeah. a volunteer crisis counselor for like ten years, and sometimes I would just oh, say you? I was a counselor, and yeah, yeah, I did that for ten years. I used to be a uh, psychiatric um, technician at a uh, at a crisis unit. That was, oh wow, okay. Yeah, that was very interesting. Yeah, very rewarding. I found, um, but it also, I, I think I have a problem with. Uh, it was very hard for me to separate that work from, you know, like taking that home. Mm-hmm. That was hard for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you're not taking work home now, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever happened? Yeah, I think so. You think um, so? I think so. Yeah. There was a time when I was working on Paranormal State and we worked on a, on a investigation that, um, we believe to be, I'm going to use the D word, but demonic. And, um, you know, when I got home at the time I was living in a place that I don't think had anything. I never experienced anything in that house. And all of a sudden it was, it was very subjective, but just little things were happening. And it peaked at, I was lying in bed I wasn't asleep. I wasn't even like drifting off at this point. I was like literally just lying in bed. And I heard a breath in my ear and I was the only person in the room. Um, <laughs> my door was closed. Uh, you know, so it, that's when it peaks. And I remember I talked oh, to the team about it at that time. Yeah. And they were just like, it, their opinion was, if it was supernatural, that, you know, maybe just a warning that I picked up a little attachment or something of like, uh, don't come back here. You know, this is a warning for you. Oh, um, so they, what they advised me to do and, um, was to ignore it. And so I did. And then after the breath, 
nothing happened. Ever again? Not in that house, no. <laughs> wow, wow. So yeah. once a place is, I guess, haunted, as you would say, but does it go away? Like, would it ever stop being haunted? I don't know. You know, I, I think one of the challenges, um, and it's, it's also like a frustration I have just as an investigator, is that I can't give anybody concrete answers ever. Yeah. And I'm very upfront. You know, when I work with clients, and um, especially when I work with clients, I'm very, very upfront about that. You know, this is all speculative. Mm-hmm. Um, what I know 100% is that people believe that they have these experiences. And I've seen it happen where sometimes they can be explained away mm-hmm. by either environmental causes, um, neurological problems, illnesses, psychological problems. Um, but there are times where we haven't been able to find an answer. Mm-hmm. So then when we're looking at can we get rid of this stuff? Can it ever not be haunted? Can you ever not have these experiences? The challenge becomes, well, if we don't know what causes them in the first place, we don't know how to get rid of that, right? We don't know how to combat that. So the way I think a lot of people see, like with the cleanses and everything, I'm not saying that doesn't work, but that comes from a lot of cultural beliefs, religious beliefs. And right right now, those are kind of the best tools that we have. If we can't find a natural explanation, those are the best tools we have to just try and see if it makes a difference. And mm-hmm. I have had um, cases where it seems like things have stopped. I've had cases where you do something like that and it stops for a little bit, but then comes back with a vengeance. Mm. Um, and then I've had cases where it makes it worse. I've had cases where it didn't change anything at all. Um, so, I can't say 100%. It's it's kind of a, in that regard, it's kind of, I mean, it's a toss up. Yeah. Yeah. Are are you married? I am. Mm-hmm. What does your husband think of this job? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am very lucky where my husband is very supportive. And, um, but as far as the supernatural goes, like he's, he's had experiences himself, but he is somebody who I think he prefers a thing of, look, I believe this stuff happens, but I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to visit it. I don't need just to be involved. To be like, yeah. So he, he gets kind of, he gets kind of scared about it. And so I have a lot of fun with him, especially like if I'm bringing home a, ha- a haunted object, Oh, geez. he does not like that, but I think it's hilarious. <laughs> so. <laughs> just put it right next to him in the bed. Yeah. I actually have a friend of mine who's a, an amazing artist and he has, um, I bought two paintings off of him. One was a, uh, stories to tell in the dark. And the other one was a painting of Reagan from the exorcist. Oh, and when I got home with the paintings, I put them like both in our bedroom. And my <laughs> husband was like, nope, <laughs> nope. He's like, that's not happening. <laughs> you need to, you need to bring him home some of those creepy dolls. Yeah. Oh, I have one in my living room. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Just, I do. Yeah. He just asked me the other week too. He's like, can we please put her away? I was like, no, I'm like, we can't. I'm like, she's part of the family now. Oh, so. geez. And you brought her home from somewhere? I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to have this sense to be able to do what you do, I mean, is that something that is just, you either have it or you don't have it, do you feel? Or is it something that can be built? Uh, sorry, senses then you mean, uh, like being like able to, yeah, like being able to feel these different feelings about things and, and have these encounters. 
happen? Yeah. So I, as far as like a sixth sense, ESP, psychic abilities, um, I think I do believe that there is something that happens with certain people. Um, how that works, why that is, I don't have those answers. But yeah. I, I have worked with some really incredible psychics where I just don't understand how they know what they know. Um, right. For example, um, one is I'm constantly impressed by her, um, but Michelle Bellinger, who's an author and an occultist and a psychic medium. Um, I worked with her for like 15 years at this point. And um, we brought her out on an episode of portals to hell. And she always wears double blindfolds. So she can't see out the bottom. She can't see anything. Mm-hmm. And that's just so um, she's not reading the actual space and being, you know, having power suggestion that way for her. Mm-hmm. And there was a moment where she put her hand on Jack's, uh, shoulder so he could lead her around the, the building and she described the shirt he was wearing like perfect wow. I mean colors and all he was wearing this plaid flannel shirt so there were a lot of different colors in it and she just described it perfectly um so you know I hmm. as far as that stuff goes it, it I I've had experiences like that where I have information that I don't know how I know and um so I'm more in the camp of I think everyone kind of has that ability um, uh-huh. and I liken it to, you know, some people are born with better eyesight. Some people are born with better hearing. Some people, I think just kind of have their, their spooky dial tuned up a little bit. Um, but as far as experiences go, I don't know what makes it possible for some people to have them and others don't, because there is kind of a joke in the field that, oh, you're a cooler, Right. And a cooler means you're somebody that you, you could put that person in the most haunted location in the world and nothing would happen to them. That they must would never be feel me. anything. Nothing would ever happen around them, you know, um, and why that is, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you think kids are more sensitive? It appears to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the thoughts in the field for why that is, is because children are just absorbing you know, they're absorbing their environment. They haven't been told all the no's. They haven't been told, don't yeah. believe in that. Um, they're still kind of just experiencing things. Um, and I think it's uh, University of Virginia actually has a department where they uh, they have, like, I think over 2,500 cases of, I might be misquoting that number, but I'm pretty sure it's, it's around there, mm-hmm. um, where they, they have a, a department that looks at past life from children. Um, hmm. so yeah, so it's, it's pretty interesting work. Wow. Well, it's a very interesting job you have. Um, I'm kind of jealous in a way. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you can come out to a decrepit building, <laughs> sleep there for three days, anytime. <laughs> I, I would probably you be a welcome. cooler. <laughs> oh, would you? <laughs> probably. I would, I, I always say I would like to experience something at least once, but who knows? You get in that situation yeah. if I really want that to happen. Although right, my, and, that, and that's the other thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Although my son, when he was younger, um, appeared to have a... Uh, he. All right, I'll tell you the story real quick. So my grandmother died, mm-hmm. okay? And I used to call her my mom, okay? So when he was younger, he used to be in his room, and he would just talk. And, you know, just... He was about maybe three. And then I'd watch him on the monitor. He'd be talking in his room, just kind of playing. And then my wife went in there and asked him what he was doing. And he said, 
playing with my mom. And I was like, well, mm. that's kind of weird. And then we went, yeah. on the, then we went to my mom's house and she had this frog, um, outside of her front, her front door. It was like a ceramic frog. And when we got there, the first thing he did was run up to the frog and said, that's my mom's frog. And he had no idea. And that did belong to my grandma. So, oh, that's funny. Yeah. So that, that's the closest I've come to something like that. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 I've heard so many stories from people like that about their, their young children having experiences with that stuff. So, um, I mean, it definitely appears to be that they're more sensitive on some level. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, it, it was. He hasn't had any as he got older, but yeah. All right, Katrina. Well, listen, Portals to Hell Season 3 is on now, Discovery Plus, uh, streaming. New episodes, you said Saturdays? Saturdays, yep. Okay. Um, so check that out. If you're listening, go check that out. Get Discovery Plus. Um, and they can find you online, social media? Yep. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, Katrina. And my last name is spelled We ID Man. So you'll, you'll find me man. that way. What's that? Now I'm every time I see your name, I'm gonna think of that. Right, I know it's funny. I that took me a really long time to realize, which I'm embarrassed about because I was like <laughs> in my 20s and I was like, oh, I probably I should have realized that a lot earlier, but you right, know, it took, right. a, took a little bit. Well, well, there you go. All right, well, again, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. Um, it was great talking to you. You too. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right, thank you. All right, All right take care, Joe. That's all for this week. Join us next week for another episode of the Rock and Roll and Coffee Show podcast. Available on all your favorite podcast listening platforms.